Support for this podcast and the following message comes from KUST Campus Radio, a student-operated, non-commercial radio station. KUST provides students and faculty of St. Thomas a platform dedicated to creative storytelling, diverse viewpoints, and exploring a vast array of audio content. Tune in anytime to KUST at Mixler.com slash KUST hyphen radio. Welcome to Keep the Ball Rolling, presented by Tommy Media. On today's show, we wrap up fall sports playoffs. We welcome on assistant professor in the Department of Health and Human Performance and former hockey standout, Dr. Brett Brunix, and we update you on Minnesota sports. Welcome back to Tommy Media's Keep the Ball Rolling. I'm Jacob Schneider, and joined today is Carly Noble. Welcome back, Carly. Episode five. How are we feeling today? Feeling good. Um, I mean, it's an okay day. It's snowing out. It's yeah. a little rainy snow. Yeah, it's, it's like weird. sleet. Sleet. Um, I'm excited for Thanksgiving next week. So Ooh, this is me awesome. Too. Me too. And we have so much fun stuff to share today. So yeah. my mom sent me a picture. Uh, actually, she is uh, baking cookies for Thanksgiving today. And a week early? Yeah, I know. <laughs> okay. And I was like, okay, it's a little early. She's like, well, I, I probably wouldn't eat those. Yeah. <laughs> or freeze them, maybe. Well, Carly, it has been a very busy fall for us. We're in episode five, right. and this is kind of the fall sports wrap up today. You know, football has ended, a few other sports, cross country, swimming, uh, soccer, they're kind of still finishing a little bit. Mm-hmm. But let's start with football. Um, you. Oh. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. I was at the game last weekend, it was yep. the final game of the year of the season. Um, but we ended on a high note. We won. We beat Bethel 17-7. to We claimed the share of the Mayak Championship with St. John's, which was good. We defeated the number nine ranked Bethel, like I said. However, the season ended after that game. No and NCAA berth. There was no NCAA berth. On, we, the viewing show was Sunday. And there was hope that we were going to get in. Everyone had hope. But, I mean, realistically, we did have two losses. We lost to unranked Eau Claire, and we lost to St. John's. And St. John's was the only team from the Mayak to get into the NCAA. That loss against UW-Eau Claire really hurt us. You mm-hmm. know, they're an unranked opponent. They didn't have a stellar season. And, you know, right. slip-ups like that, they're costly. However, redemption from 2018, you beat Bethel. Yep. You know, it's on senior day. You get to honor a senior class that includes um, players like uh, – Ronnie Jones, Vinnie Pellini, Nick Raditz, Jack Foley, and Josh Parks. Josh Parks. On a, thir- a 31 seniors, that's insane. Yeah. That, Caruso's losing a lot of good leaders and sure. players on his team. But, but they still return how many people? A lot. Yeah, you know, they, they finish 8-2 and two overall, 7-1 and one in the Mayak. There's a mm-hmm. lot to be proud of, a lot to be looking up towards. Yep. Um, they've got one more season in, or one more season in the Mayak next Correct, year, and then yeah. we'll see what happens. But... They weren't the only team to miss out on an NCAA berth um, when in reality, you know, a lot of people thought they might. Um, men's soccer, they ended their season two weeks ago. They lost in the Mayak Championship to Gustavus. Uh, the final was 3-1, to one, but I'm going to call it 2-1. to one. <laughs> Late in the game, they pushed everybody up, yeah. and uh, it was basically just an, a 1v1 with the keeper. And, you know, a lot of the times the offense will score that. Yep. They lose 3-1, to one, and surprisingly, they don't get an at-large bid from the NCAA um, a lot of people are shocked, a few on the committee, um, shocked they were one of the teams that was were being looked at. It, um, Yeah, it just came as a surprise. But the end of season in the Mayak Championship, um, 
The Tommies were the regular season co-champs of the Mayak. Coach John Lowry won the Mayak Coach of the Year, which was his third selection in the past four years. Uh, congratulations to him. Well-deserved. And four Tommies were featured uh, um, were 20 featured among 22 selected for an all-Mayak first team. Uh, defender Helver Hogue, who led the team in scoring with eight goals in 19 games. Goalkeeper Troy Lewagi, who went 9-1-1 in net with 24 saves and seven shutouts. While junior midfielder Sam Holton played in all 19 games. He played in 63 of 65 games in his three seasons. Uh, sophomore midfielder Jack Berry, a repeat honoree, had four goals this season and three assists. And he was somebody who started the season at center back, yep. transitioned his way to the midfield, and became incredibly stable. Yep. Um, Dominant force for scoring for us. We yes. needed some of his big goals. He for is, sure. He's a massive presence in that midfield. Yep. So the Tommy's record was 12, 4, and 3 on the season, and they graduated four seniors. Um, but they should come back strong. They still have a lot of really good players returning next year. Yeah, no, there's a lot, uh, lot to be proud of for this season. Um, they ended their season outscoring opponents 36 to six in their final 12 games. Uh, you think going 11 and one in your final 12 games would get you an NCAA berth, but this committee's harsh, and you know that kind of thing happens. Yeah. But uh, let's move on to another big loss from for yeah. St. Thomas. I mean, not a big loss. This but kind of a shocker. The women's volleyball team made it into the NCAA playoffs. Yep. And unfortunately, they ended their season in the second round in the semifinals of the NCAA playoffs against Stevens Point last weekend. Yeah, and Stevens Point was a team, you know, they they were expected to beat. They lost in straight sets. Yep. The first time all season they have not won a set. Yep. Um, kind of a shock for the team. They were in a they were on a hot streak. They were playing really well. Um, and frankly, uh, it was something nobody expected to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they lost the game against Stevens Point in three sets right away, and that was the first home loss in the last four seasons. So first three and zero um, loss in the last four seasons, but overall they had a fun season. They had a lot of awards. Their coach um, was NCAA Region Coach of the Year, and that was his fourth honor. And then they had so many players get awards, such as uh, the freshman hitter Selena Lewandowski was named NCAA Rookie Re- um, Region Rookie of the Year, and then senior libero Ellie Meyer, she made the academic all team, and then Meyer also made the regional all tournament team. And uh, Grace Antipa was named first team all region. So there was a lot of lot of awards on that team, too. Yeah, and the four seniors, Ellie Meyer, Maddie Kroller, Hannah Brown, and Lauren Yeagerson, helped build a 102-30 record over four seasons. Uh, Coach Fahm will return a strong core led by sophomore setter Grace Anatipa, sophomore hitter Fran Egan, and junior uh, defenseman Megan Mazzola, and freshman hitters Selena Lewandowski and Kate Achenbach. I can't talk today, Carly. Wow. That's okay. Those are some uh, yeah. hard last names to pronounce. But, but the Tommies closed 30-5 and five and tied for 17th place, na- place nationally. So you know, There's a lot to be proud of. They had a really mm-hmm. great season. They won the Mayak. Um, and, you know, there's a lot. They, they've got a lot of players returning. They're only losing four seniors. So there's a lot to look up for them. Right. And we have another team that's just finished their season, um, women's cross country. They had a phenomenal season, as always. They also just missed the NCAA berth, another mm-hmm. team to just miss it. But they were ranked um, number 16 um, going into this in the rest of the, the end of the season. But se- senior Sarah Ness, she placed 11th at regionals, so she will be the only individual representing women's cross country at nationals next Saturday in Louisville. So her teammate, who's really good, we also had her on the show earlier in the year, Olivia Mole, she placed 15th and just missed the individual qualifying spot, which is unfortunate, but at least we still have one Tommy representing our women's cross-country team. The team didn't make it, but yeah. they do have an individual. Mm-hmm. So um, they had a great season, too. Coach Joe Sweeney's team placed second in the MIAC and fourth at Regions. 
And a fun fact is that earlier in the season, the women beat all 18 NCAA teams based at the UW lacrosse invites. So. That is pretty cool. Yeah. So, um, that's women's cross country. Now, men's cross country, they're still in it. They're headed to the national championships in Louisville, Kentucky. The number 25 rank ranked men's cross country team has received one of 16 at-large berths into next Saturday's NCAA championship. Um, for the second year in a row, the 30 uh, and it's the 32-team race starts at noon Minnesota time on November 23rd. Um, they were Mayak runner-up two weeks ago and placed fourth out of 28 teams at regionals on Saturday. Last season, the Toms placed 30th at Nationals, and they'll have four returners from that seven-man lineup led by senior Carl Wachter. Um, there were a lot of things that happened for cross-country this year. George McGivern made his debut. Freshman Zach Hare of Breckenridge, Minnesota, will also make his NCAA meet debut. Um, they're led by sophomore Beal Wheel, sophomore Matt Carrick, senior Colin Kiley, junior Carl Kozlowski, and sophomore Keegan Sanson. So good luck to them this yeah. weekend in Kentucky. Yeah, you know, they're uh, getting out of the snow. They're getting out of the sleet. And, mm -hmm. you know, maybe uh, maybe it's a little nice weather now in Kentucky. Yep. Lastly, we have one last team still in the playoffs. Uh, and, Jacob, this is your favorite topic. Our women's soccer team is headed to the Sweet 16 in Wheaton, Illinois. They are so fun to watch. What an incredible team. Uh, they've had a great season. Um, I'm headed down there tomorrow, uh, flying out uh, to O'Hare Airport. Uh, headed to Wheaton College for their 1 p.m. kickoff Friday afternoon against Wheaton. And if they win, they are to play Saturday at 5 p.m. But th let's talk about how they got there first. Um, after hosting and winning the first two rounds of the NCAA tournament, the women's team is headed to the Sweet 16. Uh, they defeated uh, Monmouth College and Illinois Wesleyan last weekend, both by 1-0 score lines. Not a lot of scoring, but Coach McGill said, that that's not a worry for them. They haven't scored a lot this season, and they feel prepared, they feel confident, and they're ready to go. Um, and like I said, they play Wheaton, 1 p.m. Uh, the 19th-ranked Tommies will face the number 6-ranked Thunder, and the winner will go on to play number 17, Ohio Northern, or number 15, uh, Carnegie Mellon. They're on a 15-game unbeaten streak, and uh, Sheila McGill, the head coach, is a repeat recipient of the Wa Mayak Women's Soccer Coach of the Year Award after guiding uh, Tommies to a co-championship in the regular season and a championship title in the playoffs. McGill has the Tommies in the NCAA playoffs for the fourth consecutive season, and this is the first time since 2002 a St. Thomas women's soccer program has made the Sweet 16 of the NCAA tournament. Good luck to them this weekend, and uh, Jacob will be covering everything. We'll have full yeah. coverage there, photos, um, social media, and a story. So Yeah, and uh, you know, wish them the best of luck. It should be a fun time. So as we wrap up Tommy Force Fall Sports coverage, we bring in a special guest today. Um, Dr. Brett Brunix joins us on the show. He talks about his former career as a hockey pro, how he became a coach, and then his transition to teaching. I'm excited. Let's bring him in. Yeah, let's do it. Thanks again for joining us, Dr. Brunix. So let's start with your career. Uh, can you give our listeners a brief overview of how you landed at St. Thomas working in the Department of Health and Human Performance? Well, where do you start, huh? <laughs> so I, uh, I'll start, kind of, I'll go back to my undergrad. Uh, went to University of Notre Dame, graduated with a, a, a bachelor's in psychology, believe it or not, and had a chance after I played Division One hockey at Notre Dame and was fortunate enough to, to sign a contract with uh, the Philadelphia Hockey Organization out in, in, in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania where I played professionally for about almost three years. Um, got hurt on that statistic, two and a half years. Um, so you won't be able to find me in the record books or anything like that. Um, but then I got interested in why did I get hurt? And so I went back home, we actually moved back from Philadelphia back to the universe, uh, back to Minnesota and took a start taking some adult classes on trying to figure out why I got hurt. And I took my first exercise physiology class, got hooked. 
uh, went and did my master's at the University of Minnesota, and then I got my PhD in kinesiology with an emphasis in exercise physiology from the same institution. So long story short, it's getting longer. I know we only have a few minutes, so I don't want to take up too much of your time. Um, but out of my grad school, I went to the Concordia College where I helped reestablish their exercise uh, science program, Concordia, up in Moorhead, Minnesota. Um, my second year in there, um, as being a professor in the exercise science department, I inherited, in quotes, uh, the women's hockey team. Um, our coach got fired. They asked if I'd serve as the interim women's hockey coach, um, as well as doing my job as a professor. Had some phenomenal success because I had some tremendous athletes. I'd like to say it was all me, but <laughs> it had nothing to do with me. I just had some really good athletes. Um, that was about a three-year stint there, so I spent four years at Concordia. And then going into my fifth year at Concordia, I got recruited out by Minnesota State Mankato to go join their um, women's hockey program at the Division One level. So a little bit weird, and then eventually spent, spent two years down there, and then one of my very good friends here at the University of St. Thomas called me up and said, you know, are you itching to get back in the classroom? We have a job opening. Do you think you'd be good to apply for it? Um, I applied for it. Um, everything went well, and going into my fifth year here at St. Thomas now. So long story, but um, glad to be here. So I've kind of a – I have my hands in 15 different things with different experiences that led me here, and I think it was – there's a reason for it, I guess. Very cool. And here you are, and I've had you as a teacher. Exactly. So I've had you for a physiology class. I'm going to have you next semester for ex -phys, actually. Fantastic. And she's still smiling. So that's <laughs> that's You're a great professor <laughs> for next. Um, what is it that interests you, that you love most about teaching physiology here? You know, I, and I'm standing next to three students. You might not be able to see them out there, but <laughs> in their close vicinity. But no, it is the students. Um, for me, subject matter, regardless if it's, you know, psychology or sports psychology or exercise physiology or physiology, it's the interaction with students is what I like doing. Um, I got a pretty good job. I don't typically like to tell students that I actually like them too much because <laughs> I don't want them to get too cocky or anything like that. But um, just kind of seeing them make me a better professor and learning things I, th I wish I knew back then um, kind of fuels me to, to get in that classroom every single day. And in that classroom, you've been a part of some pretty extensive research studies throughout your career. If you had to pick one that was your, say, favorite, uh, could you tell us a little bit about it? I'm, I'm absolutely loving what I'm doing as part of the SOLVE project at the University of St. Thomas right now. And what we are realistically doing is we're taking an athlete model into an at-risk population um, and our older populations for people who are at risk for falls. So we're not only dealing, I get a chance to, to bring in not only the exercise physiology, my athletic background, my colleagues who have expertises in different areas, but I also get a chance to bring in um, some of my psychology training back in my, from my undergrad, dealing with fear, dealing with anxiety, um, but also learning how to apply principles of exercise physiology, physiology, and sport training to a group that you might not think could benefit um, in, in that area, but we are seeing tremendous results um, I'm very fortunate to be funded by the University of St. Thomas to do this type of research. I get a chance to work directly with students. I think on our last phase, we had 13 undergraduate students working with us. Um, and we got a chance to make a huge impact in a small group. Uh, we also had an opportunity to work with a, one of our community partners with the YWCA of St. Paul, um, which I think has been a great relationship to develop, and we look forward to doing more and more. Um, more importantly, the, the impact we're making in the community, we're allowing people to, or I should say we're helping people interact with their community more. We're making, uh, hopefully through our interactions with our training and our um, fitness, we're improving people's lives, our functional performance, which is 
kind of a cool thing if you think about it. Yeah, that is very cool. So if you were to give one piece of advice to students interested in your field of study, what would it be? I'd say explore. Uh, our field is so wide. In fact, when, when students come to visit us at the University of St. Thomas, I always talk about, uh, I usually get a question from a parent, what can my son or daughter do with exercise science? And I'm, as Carly knows, I'm a tad bit sarcastic at times. <laughs> um, I can say, what can't they do? And I'm serious about it because it is so broad, but it's so exciting. So I would say explore. So if there's not one thing that you know you, you like, try some other things. Get your hands in different things and figure out you know, what really kind of makes you tick. Because I always explain to students there's a difference between a job and a career. A job pays the bills. It's a necessity. A career is something that you can develop, you can explore, you can uh, expand, but also get a chance to work on things that you really want to do every single day. And kind of tr transitioning from that, you played hockey. How do you think your hockey playing days and coaching days have shaped you into the educator that you are today? Well, hopefully you can tell I'm a little bit competitive. <laughs> mm -hmm. I'm a little intense at times. Um, you know, I think what it taught me, it's taught me a lot of discipline. Uh, it's taught me being part of a team sport that there's not just, and I don't want to sound too cliche, but you're, you're not bigger than the team. So my colleagues that I work with in my own department and across the university, um, along with students, hopefully, in this case, build a better university. But in terms of my own discipline and my own approach to things, there are times that you can turn it on and off. There's times that you can be, that athletes should be relaxed because you play your best. And there's times where you need to be intense is where you play your best. And it's kind of a balancing act. Um, I'm hoping some of my experiences that I can bring into the classroom will help students learn or you know what's the the good and the bad of playing professional or college hockey what's um, I've hopefully have been a little bit of an asset for some of our coaches around here in terms of hey, what to expect with this new exciting horizon possibly going division one um, what does that look like um, you know I think I'm hoping to teach my students that no matter what you do go out there get one percent better every single day I know that sounds cliche but that's kind of what life's all about is getting better every single day whether it's through a conversation or reading something or interacting with something else mm -hmm. so, so you talk about how those uh playing college hockey and pro hockey kind of shaped you let's talk about college hockey and pro hockey in general now we're going to transition a little bit okay so you played your college puck at notre dame how does it compare uh so you played in the early 90s how does that compare to say 2019 college puck wow faster <laughs> I play in the CCHA, which has always been known to kind of be a little bit bigger, bigger players, a little bit slower, but more physical, which is one of the reasons why I, I kind of gravitated towards playing in the CCHA. You're not very, um, uh, you're not too small of a dude, though, so. <laughs> no, and I, I would like to say that I had a little bit more anger back then, but <laughs> <laughs> it's more of, I call it determination now, as I'm sure. maturing for the most part. Um, you know, I think the game's different. It, uh, players are faster they're more skilled I would say even the technology is better overall um, they're tremendous athletes not that there weren't athletes back in our day but the game was different it's more wide open now than it used to be where in our league it was a lot of clutch and grab a lot of slowing people up a lot of a lot more physical um, but what you see right now is just a, an evolution of the game and I think if you ask somebody prior to 1990s what did the 80s look like and the 70s look like it's an evolution of the game we are faster, stronger, um, more skilled than we've ever been in sports. And if you take a look at the uh, the athletes themselves, they're bigger, faster, stronger every single time. They either step on the ice, the court, the field. Um, and that has a lot to do with training methods, 
Um, I'm not going to get away from genetics because genetics always are a big key. As Carly knows I talk a lot about that. Um, but if you look at to the technologies helping our helping the game progress yeah. and get faster and, then, um, and more powerful. So after Notre Dame, you mentioned um, you went and played pro at Phil in Philadelphia, but your career ended shy due to injury. Um, what necessarily happened? And could you tell us a little bit about what, how that affected your playing your pro career? I think future? it comes back to I wish I would have known back then what I know now. Um, what happened to me is I ended up tearing my rector off my lower back, basically. So I got hit, kept playing, kept playing, tried to rehab the wrong way as I went into more heavy training versus more uh, assistive or more um, injury prevention type training. And then I got hit again and basically it was almost like leather tearing in my lower back and it was just something where I was at a point where I was crawling to the bathroom I was constantly either taking an anti-inflammatory or some type of painkiller um, and then once the rehab did happen um, physiologically I wasn't able to play at that same level and I was an older player too mm -hmm. so you know usually what people don't quite understand in, in the real world is that there are usually six or seven players waiting for your job so if someone gets hurt it just allows the next person to kind of step yeah. up. It's, it's rare to have that kind of in the business world or even the education world in my case. Um, I'm hoping there's not six people waiting for my job right now. <laughs> um, but, you know, if you do in the, in the sport world, it's, it's a business. And, you know, I don't at all blame the, the clubs or anything like that because their job is to put the best 20 to 25 players on the ice they can every single day. And, and for me, it was just a matter of I couldn't get back to my normal playing style. And I was a physical player that I like to say I was a physical player. My job was to kind of create space for people who actually had hand skills and stick skills. So that means don't touch the puck, just hit the body kind of thing. I'm joking <laughs> around. But it, uh, I wasn't able to play my game. I think that was tough not only physically but also mentally and emotionally when you've been playing something for you know 35 years and that was your dream to go to the big time. Um, you got your chance to kind of scratch the surface. It, that was the tough part. And um, so you transitioned to coaching after that. How long did it take you? When did you realize that you wanted to get into coaching after playing? Uh, I'll tell you, that was a tough one. I don't think I went into a hockey rink or watched a hockey game after I officially retired for almost two years. And I share this story with a lot of athletes and a lot of my students that it took a bunch, uh, a friend of mine, a colleague of mine, when I was in graduate school, he had a, a nine or 10 year old son that played hockey and he kept asking me, come on out, just come out and coach our kids one day. Uh, and I'd done a lot of volunteer skating work and stuff like that back in the past when I was playing. And I finally went out, and I got out on the ice, and I figured out, oh, this is what hockey's all about. It's about having fun. Because in that two years leading up to that point, I didn't like the game. You know, I kind of probably went through a little bit of a depression. was like, oh, well, you know, I didn't want to watch my friends on the ice anymore because it was like they're doing things I wish I could, you know, I could do. Um, but I got back on the ice, and it was in Apple Valley down south of the river. And... and these kids were inquisitive and they wanted to learn and eventually I think it just happened through it, it morphed into me coaching a bunch of 10 and 12 year olds and <laughs> then that went to it eventually uh, included high school and then in graduate school I coached at Augsburg College for a season and then you know one of my dilemmas was I got offered a job out at Plymouth State in New Hampshire to coach and also be a professor but it was, wasn't the right fit so when I went to Concordia, I started working with the men's hockey team. Because once it's in your blood, it's in your blood. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's teaching. And whether you're on the ice or on top of a mountain, it's still teaching. And so I got a chance to put some skill set to, 
to work for the most part, and I just was fortunate in many ways to fall into a, to the college coaching gig and, and loved it. And But I think it's it kind of led to some other things too, which is pretty fun. So you talk about how the game is in your blood. Well, for a lot of Minnesotans, there's two certain movies revolving around hockey that are kind of in our blood. Mm. Uh, can, can you take a guess as to what I'm talking well, about? You're going to say Miracle, aren't you? Miracle. And then if there was one more, what would I'm it be? I hope you're going to say Slapshot. Ah, the Mighty Ducks. <laughs> I'd rather see Slapshot. <laughs> if, you, if you had to pick one movie that was the better representation of fun for hockey or whatever hockey means to you, the Mighty Ducks or Miracle, what would it be? Um, I'm hoping I would say from a coaching education standpoint, the Mighty Ducks. From a competitive side, from an inspirational side, I would say Miracle. Um, and I know that you're asking for one movie. <laughs> it's tough because it's um, there's two different things I would look at. And I watch the game completely different than I've ever been able to play it because I just pick things apart. But in terms of of learning to collaborate and be a team and everything like that that was all mighty ducks that's like this is what hockey's all about be a kid it's a game <laughs> versus miracle where you kind of aspire to be at the top to win a gold medal to play at the highest level possible that that's the inspirational side of things and i think you can take both of them if i was to put them next to each other hand in hand the kid me would say mighty ducks <laughs> the competitor me would say the other one Unfortunately, they need to make a hybrid Mighty Ducks go to the Olympics kind of oh, okay. kind of game if they could do well, that. But you could pitch that to Hollywood. <laughs> I don't think it's going to go. <laughs> we could use a new hockey movie, <laughs> exactly. I think. Yeah, another one. It's been a few years, hasn't it? It has, yeah. I think the last one was Goon with the uh, – if you've ever seen that. I have not heard, heard of it. I haven't yeah. seen it, no. It's not a hockey movie. It's about a guy who just goes in and fights the whole time. Uh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, on that note, thanks, Dr. Prunix, for joining us today. Thanks You're for welcome. all your insight on really careers appreciate in it. hockey. You're welcome. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Love it. Thank you for having me. So a big thanks to Dr. Brunick for joining us on the show today. Uh, but now we're going to transition to the broad spectrum of Minnesota sports, not just St. Thomas, but professional sports in Minnesota. So go for football, Minnesota United FC, the Minnesota Vikings, and the Minnesota Timberwolves. Um, Carly, let's start with go for football. They've kind of been one of the hot topics of the Twin Cities over the past couple months. They've got a record season going. It's one of their best since, I think, 1964. And if we look at that, and we there's a lot to be proud of, but... It was a heartbreaking loss last weekend against Iowa in Iowa, but that's one of the hardest places to produce a victory at. That's such a cool stadium, too, because they have the children's hospital yeah. right up there where everybody turns and waves to the kids. Like, such a cool environment. One of the one of my favorite moments, anytime you watch Iowa mm -hmm. football game on TV, they show it. They show that, yep. And it just, it's like, it's heartwarming. Honestly, were you surprised that they lost? Because I kind of was after that big Penn State win. Yeah, I was I was relatively shocked, but I feel like there was a bit of a confidence hide going on with right, the team. Right, right. Um, it was a really rough first half. They were down 20-6 to six at the break. Um, there were a few play calls I, I didn't agree with personally. Um, the Gophers, with two seconds left on the clock in the second half, in the first half, they were, had the ball in the three-yard line, and P.J. Fleck chose to kick a field goal instead mm -hmm. of going for it. And, you know, we got the points. However, I think you need to show ambition there. You're on the three-yard line. 
Have faith in your team. Have faith in your offense and right. go for it. Get those seven points. Should have. Because we lost by four points, Carly. I know. So. Oh, now they have a big game coming up. Yeah, <laughs> but they fell 23-19. and But on top of that, they also missed a field goal and an extra point, which would have tied the game at the end of regulation. So a lot of things went wrong, including Tanner Morgan, starting quarterback, going down in the final two-minute drive. Um, his status is uncertain for Northwestern this okay. weekend. I have a feeling they might hold him out and sit him until uh, until Wisconsin. Um, but, you know, it, we're going to need him for that game because it's going to be one win. Mm-hmm. Gophers are going to beat Wisconsin, right, Carly? Um, I don't think so. No? Well, you know, I do like both teams being from Wisconsin, of course, the Badgers. But I do like the Minnesota team because I'm here right now. But I guess we have to make a bet. Yeah, Carly. And obviously I'm going to pick my home state. Because we, we talked about this, like, two on two sh- I think episode three, we talked about yep. how the Gophers are going to beat the Badgers and we are going to win the border battle. But you disagree. I think the Badgers are going to win. What do you think? What's your what's your game prediction, your score? My game prediction, I'm going to go 27-24 Minnesota. We kick a field goal as the as the clock expires, even though <laughs> we've had field goal struggles this entire season. Okay. I think we're going to come up big in that moment and show Wisconsin that we're the better team. I'm thinking the Badgers are going to win 24-21. to 21. All right, well, Carly, we got to make a bet on this. I am saying a cup of coffee over finals week. I w- I'm down for that. I will be getting a cup of coffee over finals week. I will be getting one, too. I just won't be paying for it. Oh, really, Jacob? Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll keep you updated on that big game over the Thanksgiving break after yep. that. So, so uh, th- uh, that game is uh, at the, not this weekend when we play Northwestern, but the following Saturday Correct. after Thanksgiving. And it so, will be at Minnesota. Yep. Yep. So now we're going to transition to my favorite, Minnesota United FC. A um, little bit of info. They've done some deals on, over the past month. There's a big one. They traded their star player, uh, Darwin Quintero, a designated player out of Columbia, to the Houston Dynamo for 600000 uh general allocation money and uh, midfielder Marlon Harrison. Um, but the Loons kind of made money. It was surprising. They only bought Quintero for only 250000 um, from Club America in Mexico two years ago. Um, and everybody thought they got him on a, as a steal. They did. They made about, uh, let me do the math real quick, 350000 And they get a player in the trade. Uh, Harrison's a well, well-rounded, versatile midfielder, and he's definitely a good player to bring off the bench. Um, and then this past week, uh, the expansion draft took place. Um, the expansion draft is when you get expansion teams joining the league, such as Nashville SC and Inter-Miami, whose owner is David Beckham, actually, uh, joining the league this coming uh, year. Every team has to protect 11 players from the expansion draft. The 11 players who are protected cannot be picked, but then Inter-Miami and Nashville have the choice. They get five rounds to select players from around the league to join their roster. Uh, Minnesota had Abu Donladi, their number one pick from 2017 in the Super Draft taken. Um, Donladi was drafted first overall in 2017, like I said, and he found his groove that year. He had a really good breakout season, but has not recovered since. Um, they're compensated fifty thousand dollars as a result of it, so he's a bit. Wow. You know, it's it's a loss. However, uh, I wish him the best of luck as he just never found his footing after his first season. It's a bummer. Well, should we move on to Vikings? Um, yeah. The Vikings, Vikings somehow beat the Broncos after being down twenty to zero at halftime. The NFL teams are now one and ninety nine when being down by twenty points at the half. The Minnesota wow. Vikings are the first team in NFL history to come back from a 20-point deficit at halftime and claim victory in the regular season. And apparently Zimmer thinks it's because Cousins has his best performance. Do you think that's true? Well, if we cut out the first half, yes. Okay, okay. Well, the thing thing about uh, Cousins is he went 29 for 35 for 319 yards and three touchdowns. 
the Vikings scored 20 points in the fourth quarter. He led one. He led a miraculous comeback. He was on point. His throws were looking like he was uh, prime Tom Brady out there. Like I'm not even kidding. He he looked phenomenal. It's a little extreme, Jacob. <laughs> a little extreme. Uh, I don't know, Carly. Okay. He was looking like it. But uh, I'm thinking. Do you think this was the spark they needed for a playoff run? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I kind of hope they lose if they get in the playoffs, but it's definitely this win was huge for them, for sure. Yeah, and it's clear that it's now the NFC North is now a race between the Vikings and uh, them who shall not be named. The Green Bay Packers. The Green Bay Packers. <laughs> Carly, big Packer fan, me, a Viking fan. But, you know. The Vikes are 8-3 and three and the Packers are 8-2, and two, so. Yeah, the Packers have just played one less game than yep, us right now. right, right. So... I have a feeling that uh, it's going to come down to whoever wins the next ma- matchup between the two teams. For sure. And I think that's your NFC North winner. That's over Christmas break, I believe. Yeah, it's at Minnesota here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, I don't know the exact date, but uh, it is over Christmas I break. I want to say it's like right before Christmas. It honestly yeah. may be Christmas Eve game. Yeah. Well, yeah. All, our view- all our listeners just know that I will be texting Carly the moment the <laughs> Vikings win and defeat the Green Bay Packers. Yeah, okay, Jacob. Okay. Okay. Uh, Moving on to the Timberwolves. Yeah. So the Minnesota Timberwolves this week announced some fire jerseys. They announced the new City Edition jersey. It's entirely light blue. It's got a white logo on the chest that says MSP. It's uh, in reference to Heritage, to the Twin Cities, Minneapolis, St. Paul. And every NBA team has issued a uh, City Edition jersey this year. And the Timberwolves, it kind of looks like a North Carolina jersey, in all honesty. The the uniform, light blue shorts, light blue shirt. I love North Carolina's colors. Reminds me of uh, Michael Jordan in the 90s, in all honesty. Yep. You know, and it's a a cool jersey. But the Wolves themselves um, started the season really hot. They won the first three games. Since then, they've kind of been flat. Um, In and out, win win here, win two in a row, lose one. Win one, lose one. They got to find their groove again. They've missed Andrew Wiggins the past couple games due to um, some family uh, issues. His grandmother passed away. Uh, my condolences there. Uh, we're going to have him back this week, and it'll be nice because he's really found his groove in uh, the later part of this season. Uh, and the Wolves, they sit at 8-6, and six, and with Carl Anthony Towns, they he leads virtually every category on this team. He wow. is the embodiment of Minnesota's uh, – the, the Timberwolves in general, every play goes through Towns. Every defensive stop, Carl Anthony Towns is there. Cat is our man, and he's like the KG of this generation. Having him, <laughs> having him lead this core gives Minnesota basketball fans hope. So when we look at what to, what to expect from them the, ne- the rest of the season, I would imagine they compete for a playoff spot. I think so. Yeah. Are you a Mo- are you a Milwaukee Bucks fan at all? I am. Me? Yeah, I'm a Bucks fan over the Timberwolves. But I mean, I'll I'll keep up with the Timberwolves in the playoffs for sure. Yeah. See how they're doing. Well, they've still got a long season ahead. Um, Gopher football has a big game against Northwestern on Saturday. The Minnesota Vikings play this weekend as well, and Minnesota United has a long off season until their first game in the late late stages of February, early March. We still haven't seen a schedule yet, but opening weekend will be that uh, the end of February, early March. So. Wow, that was a lot for today, but I think yeah. that's all we have. That is all the time right? we have. Thank you for joining us. Thanks, everyone, for listening today. Check our newest Tommy Media podcast called Cold Facts Hot Takes, hosted by May McFarlane and Kayla Mayer. For Jacob Snyder, I'm Carly Noble. Row the boat. Mm-hmm.